Crippled Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability, with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark, with Andrew Gerza, shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carry sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Get free shipping at www.comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey guys, so I want to spend a quick minute thanking the people who've pledged my Patreon page. Creating crippled content is not easy, it's hard work. There's also not a big market for people talking about sexuality and disability because it is so taboo. So I really appreciate all of the hard-earned dollars that each person who's pledged has put down each month for me to create this content and keep this show going. So I wanted to take just a minute to thank all of them personally. I want to thank Duncan, John, Sarah, Tina, and Ronnie for their pledges. I really appreciate it. I also want to thank Jerome, Heather, Rachel, and Felice for their pledges. It means a lot to me that you would pledge. Thank you. And lastly, I want to thank Duncan A., Nathan, and Cher for pledging to the Crippled Content Patreon page. Thank you so, so much. If you want to pledge, again, patreon.com slash andrewgerza. Thank you, guys. Hello there, welcome to this episode of Disability After Dark. I'm so happy you clicked on this episode and this one is seriously one of my favorite episodes so far. If you're one of my Patreon subscribers, and I thank you for that, you're going to be hearing this episode a little bit sooner than the rest of the audience because I appreciate that you pledge your dollars for me, so I wanted to give you this episode a little bit earlier as a gift because it really is, as you'll see, one of my favorites and really, really important. So you all know how we are obsessed with our social media accounts, right? You scroll through, you see some things, you like some stuff, you retweet, you Instagram. I'm not sure what the thing what the thing for Insta is, but you do that. I think it's also retweet or repost or rehash or something. I'm not sure, which shows you just how old I am. But you're on social media and we're all connected to our devices. Once in a while, you see a hashtag that goes viral. And you see it just blow up and it just goes everywhere and it starts conversations and people are talking about it and people are tweeting about it and people are writing about it and then it becomes a news story and then it goes further and further and further and further. Sometimes, very rarely, do we see this happen. And even more rare than that, we don't see this happen in the disability community. Well, that's all about to change. Thanks to the hashtag, Disabled and Cute. This was one that I have been watching for a while now, and it blew the fuck up. And I was lucky enough to speak with its creator, 
Kia Brown. In my sit down with Kia, we talk about disabling cute. We talk about why she created the hashtag, how she created the hashtag, where it came from, and what it means for her. And what I love about the, our discussion, as you'll hear, is that it goes so much deeper than just a, just a hashtag about being disabled and being cute. It crosses racial lines, it crosses sexual lines, it crosses crosses gender lines. There's so many things we talk about, and this conversation is so much more than just about a hashtag. But let me give you a little background on Kia before we start our interview. Kia Brown is a reader, not a fighter, a lover, and a writer. She has a BA in journalism from the State University of New York at Fredonia. Her work has appeared in Teen Vogue, Literary Hub, Catapult, and Lenny Letter, among others. You can follow her on Twitter at Kia underscore Maria, that's K-E-A-H underscore M-A-R-I-A. So follow her right now, y'all. Also, I don't think I've ever said y'all before and meant it so intensely, because I definitely did when I said it right there. It was like I really meant to say y'all, and there it was. But anyway, I am excited now to share with you my interview with the creator of Disabled and Cute, Kia Brown, right here on Disability After Dark. Kia Brown, I am so excited to have you on Disability After Dark. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm so happy to be here. It's I am re- I'm doing well. This is <laughs> I wanted to have you on because a little hashtag you created blew up. A tiny um, one. <laughs> it, I wow. I can't. I when I saw what was happening with that hashtag, I saw it when it was first first posted, and I thought, wow, that's really cool. But I. You know, that, okay, hopefully it goes somewhere, but I, didn't, I don't think anybody thought it would go where it went. I definitely um, didn't. And I definitely want to get into that. Yeah, it's, I definitely didn't think that it was going to go where it did. And I want to get into all of that with you, but I want to kind of, I've told the audience a bit about how awesome you are and a bit about the work you do, but I want you to introduce yourself and let us know kind of who you are. Well, I'm Kia. Um, I'm a writer and a journalist. By day, I am a senior entertainment writer for Cliche Magazine. So basically, I'm just talking to your favorite celebrities about their TV shows and movies. And then like in the afternoon slash night, I write essays that focus on blackness and disability and the way they intersect and the way that I navigate the world as a black disabled woman. And so why don't you why don't you tell us about how you navigate the world as a black disabled woman? Because we don't get to hear that narrative very much. Well, I guess for me, it's a bit complicated because I guess it depends on the day. Um, Oftentimes, I find that I am invisible in a lot of spaces that, you know, I try to champion, Um, specifically in the disability community. So many of the isms are left out, like racism, sexism, etc., because there's this idea that we need to have a sort of blanket um, you know, disability definition and like we have to put everything else aside in order for the quote unquote bigger picture. But I can't, I'm never going to stop being black and I'm yeah. never going to stop being a woman and I'm never going to stop being disabled. So I can't just yeah. put one down for the sake of the other two or put two down for the sake of the other one, etc. And so I think a lot of times I, f- I feel like I'm fighting for a community that isn't 
necessarily fighting for me. Yeah, and I think that you just that last that last thing you said there speaks to a lot of what disabled people, especially intersectional disabled people, feel. Um, I myself am a queer person with disabilities, so I know that my that my queer community isn't fighting for me. They're not, and I I can only imagine if I can only imagine from your perspective having all of those intersections that you have how it would feel to wish that each one of them was fighting with you and for you to be included. Absolutely. I think there's still such a long way to go in both, um, you know, in all three of my communities, the disabled community, the black community, and, you know, as a woman, like the feminist community, because so often in each of those communities, there's some, there's a bit of me that's left out. So in the black community, it's, we don't talk enough about disabled black people. We just don't. And in the feminist community, disabled women are all but excluded from the conversation. Um, and then in the disability community, it's like, no, put down your race and put down that you're a woman and just fight for this blanket term of disability and, and, and think Dis- about the bigger picture and forget who you are. And It's really exhausting sometimes. Yeah. Forget having to forget who you are and put those pieces of yourself away. Yeah, for, yeah. for sure. To, with I'm, I can only imagine how exhausting that is for you. So that's a lot to take in, and I want the audience to think about that as, as we talk because I think you raised some really good points. I wanna, I want to move into this thing that blew up because I love it so much, and I, you've seen the things that I've tweeted to you about how yes, much I, I love, love it because I've been championing it since. Yeah. They're just so, it's just such a powerful thing. So tell me about, in the audience, tell, tell me about Disabled and Cute. Okay, so Disabled and Cute was a hashtag that I started on Twitter only because I, at the end of 2016 in December, I started to feel like, hey, you know, I like myself, I'm attractive. But I didn't think anything of it because usually the feeling passes. So I'm always like, okay, well, you know, that'll go away. But then, like, on the 11th of February, so the day before I posted the hashtag, I realized, hey, no, that feeling didn't go away. Like, you've been waking up every day, like, oh, hey, you know, I like this person looking back at me in the mirror. So I was like, I'm going to celebrate it. And it was like 12 o'clock in the morning. So I'm like, I'll just post tomorrow. And I knew that I was going to pick my four favorite selfies, and then I was going to hashtag it, disabled and cute. So I got on Twitter, and I was like, here are four selfies, like... I want to shout out all my disabled people and let them know, you know, that they're, you know, attractive and they're worth, you know, they're worthwhile, they're worthy as well. So I just put on my favorite pictures and then attached disabled and cute. And I encouraged people, non-binary people, um, people of all genders, races, etc., to use the hashtag, but I never thought that they would. Um, and, <laughs> you know, it and, was one of those things where it was like, I'm just here to celebrate myself. But and if you want to join in, please do. But if you don't, that's fine as well. And then I left Twitter, and like for like an hour, and I came back, and it was already trending. That's, so that, that was that's that was like crazy. that's. I think I mean, as so I'm somebody who creates content, uh, like and creates hashtag to hashtags to push out my content like disability after dark and all the ones that I have. So <laughs> I think somebody, when you create content like that, you're like dying to see it trend. And when it did, I mean, when I saw it started blowing up, I, I 
saw it from other people's feeds and then I saw yours, you know, like the original one, and I was like, this is amazing. And I just think that the the, the accolades you've been getting are so well-deserved because, you. I mean, it's a really simple hashtag, but if you dig deeper past the just the simplicity of it, there's so much more to it and it's so much bigger than that. And that's what I wanted to convey in the other interviews that I did was that this is not just about like, uh, you know, being conventionally attractive or like just about being attractive, I guess. My my whole thing was that, you know, I finally feel good about myself and I want people to understand this feeling and share in theirs as well. I think that a lot of people, um, and I've been so lucky in this fact, have been telling me stories through these pictures, you know, through these posts and separately in direct messages. It's just been really nice to see people celebrate themselves because so often we aren't celebrated. We're relegated to these sad stories and these people who want to kill themselves. And then, you know, if we get any representation at all, it's just usually a white guy. So... Yeah, it's a it's a it's a white guy who was paralyzed in an accident when he was like skiing with his best friends and he was super athletic and now he's not and he hates himself and then yeah that or he's an inspiration because he learned how to walk again or something. Yes, uh, there's always either that or a magic cure. I those magic cure stories are a mess. It's like oh no, you know he wished upon a star and now <laughs> and, and now he's able bodied again. Like come on. Yeah, they're just not realistic. And so have you, I want to talk to you about how this media attention, because how, do you feel like it's been hard for you to convey that message with all the media hype that's been coming your way? Um, Actually, no. People have been very, like the people that I've talked to, especially at the bigger places like Cosmo and Yahoo, they've been very, um, you know, self-aware and that I, I said right away, like, this is not inspiration porn. Like, I'm not. I'm not here to ease your guilt. I'm, I made this hashtag for disabled people. And if able-bodied people want to share it and champion us, fantastic. But it's not for you. It's for us. So I, yeah. I like took that like right off the table immediately from the first interview. And I've been very lucky in the fact that like no one's tried to make it into an inspiration point thing. However, I've seemed to upset a lot of white disabled folks in general. Um, with really? that's I'm surprised. Well, yeah. actually, I'm not surprised, but I'm I'm surprised that that they would voice their upset to you. Yeah, um, a lot of, and it's fine that a lot of people don't like the word cute, but I made a point to say I'm using the word cute because that's what I'm comfortable with. And the same way that people are reclaiming cripple, I want to reclaim cute. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with. Um, using the word cute, if I'm talking about myself, I'm not infantilizing myself. I'm just saying, hey, I'm cute. I'm attractive. I didn't use sexy or fine because I'm not there yet. When I feel that, maybe I'll start a hashtag, you yeah. know, but I, I, I feel what I feel right now. And I think that's enough. But a lot of it has been frustrating because they turn in, they turn from like an attack on the word cute to a personal attack. And that's what's just, that's what's frustrating. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, also, I think the word "cute" is important because it plays with the fact that when people call us cute, usually it's done in an infantilizing kind of way. Oh, you're so cute for doing that thing you did, dis disabled person. And this wasn't that. This is like, yeah, I'm I'm generally cute. And when you see somebody you like in popular culture, you say like, oh man, that person's so cute. So why exactly. can't we 
yeah. So why can't we as disabled people take a piece of that and own it? I've also seen some appropriation of the hashtag, um, like people saying like disabled and fierce, and and so I I appreciate it, but I'm also like you know what? Let this this wasn't yours to take away just yet. Let it be. yeah. Let it rest. Let it be. And yeah. I think and I said this to somebody else, but there's there's no doubt to me that there's a racial aspect to the criticism. Because this woman, yeah. I don't remember her name. That's how inconsequential she really is. But she but she said something <laughs> about how I should be ashamed of myself because I'm creating inspiration porn. And she lets her boyfriend call her cute, but nobody else can. And it's like what people don't realize is this. If you don't like the hashtag, you don't have to use it. But there's right? no need to make personal attacks on who I am because you're upset about the word cute. And and then you yeah, have people yeah. um, using the hashtag for, like, their own personal gain. Like, they'll use my hashtag and then six of the hashtags that they created and ask people to, you know, trend their hashtag or trend their thing. And it's like, I get it, I guess. But at the same time, just let people celebrate themselves without trying to make everything about you. Without appro- appropriating it, totally. Yeah. And then... I always feel bad because I'm like, okay, I don't want to make, you know, this about me as a person, but that's what it was initially. It, it was about me to begin with. And so then I feel like I shouldn't have to apologize for celebrating the success, first of all, and being proud of myself. And I don't have to apologize constantly for using the word cute if it's the word that I wanted to use and the word that I felt comfortable with. Yeah, and you shouldn't have to. Like That's why in one of the tweets that I posted about it on my Facebook and on my Twitter, I said, let's not forget that this this person that created this hashtag is intersectional. She's a person who's racialized and, and she's owning that by putting this hashtag in. Don't forget that. Because I saw so many people saying, you know, they, they would send me the tweets and say, oh, this is great. Or they, there would be a bunch of white people with disabilities doing it, which I appreciated. But I also said, like, let's not forget there's a bunch of intersections here that we don't own and we don't have the right to appropriate, so let's remember that. I think that it's important that you own your blackness in Absolutely. these as a disabled woman. And I, for me, as a, as a white, cisgender, disabled man, I often take many seats and sit down and listen to disabled people of color tell me their stories because I think it's so, especially when it comes to sex, disabled people of color, from my experience in talking with them, are not sexualized the right way they're either hypersexualized or desexualized but even more so than a white disabled person yes absolutely i think that you know i think being black in general like even outside of the disability community we're both hypersexualized and desexualized at the same time so it's like either you know we're cute because either we're attractive rather because you like people with disabilities like you have a fetish or something or we're just not worth your time, or like you can't get past our disability. It's frustrating because I think people don't think about, you don't think about it unless it's happening to you. So I think a lot of times, especially in the disability community, it's like, oh no, race isn't an issue or, or um, you know, we're just going to forget that, you know, there are, there are people of color with disabilities or people in the LGBTQ community with disabilities because, you know, all we have to think about is our is our whiteness. And since whiteness is the face of disability, then they don't really have anything else to worry about. 
in their eyes. But what I think it does is it halts the community from getting anywhere, from growing, because we shouldn't only be available in the number that we create for you. You should take our um, concerns and problems and make them your own. Like this should be a collective effort, not us working for you. Yeah, totally. I think that a lot of disabled white people need to sit, need to, need to, need to, to not stop speaking about their issues. Like this is, you know, this is what I do. But I also recognize that if a disabled person of color wants to, wants to talk to me about their stuff, I'm going to shut up and I'm going to listen. Um, th- yep, that's exactly what people, more people need to do rather, because a lot of times we're lost in the shuffle. So it's like whenever I say something in the community about race or the problems that we have in regards to like the representation of people of color um, in the disability community, I got I get a lot of pushback because nobody wants to think about the fact that just because you have this one marginalization doesn't mean that it excuses you from racism or sexism or homophobia any kind of ism and i mean i see homophobia a lot in the disability community surprisingly a lot i'm just surprised how there are so many queer people with disabilities who also intersect as as people of color and there's so much embedded homophobia racism sexism and i'm like as again as a white cisgendered male person i shut up and i sit down and I don't, <laughs> I don't involve myself because it's, I don't want to speak for anybody. I'm listening going, wow, like, okay, where's, and so this hashtag, that's what I love about this hashtag is because I looked at it and I said, okay, oh yeah, it's cute, but she's, a, she's actually saying 10,000 different things. If you really look at this hashtag, she, she's asking you to go deeper. And that's yeah. why it's so, that's why I think it's, it's spread like wildfire. And I, I think. My hope is through talking with you through this podcast, we can talk about why it's so, how it's so embedded into other things and why all this news coverage is important. And I think that it's, I just, I'm just, I can't applaud you enough for thank you for so much putting it out there. I, like I said, this, the news around it is so surprising to me. Like I really didn't expect it to go anywhere. So seeing it, seeing it go places and like just seeing myself and my name printed in other countries has been life-changing really because I think sometimes you go along and you're doing the work and you love the work but sometimes it feels like it's like for moot because nobody's paying attention nobody's listening and nobody like understands what you want and then you know things like this happen and I'm like okay you know I'll keep going because it's worth it like something is happening to make me feel like you know, I'm finally being heard in some way or the other. Because if you yeah. would have talked to, like, me in 2015, 2014, there's no way in hell that I'd have been like, oh, yeah, this is going to happen. Like, no, <laughs> not yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, and I, I just, I'm just so excited. And that's why I tweeted you a thousand times. Because I was like, I'm so excited for this person who's doing something. Like, I posted my picture under using the hashtag. And I was just so I'm so excited to see how many disabled people that I got to meet from just posting it and add to my Twitter feed and like talk to them. It's just been gone like wildfire. But I wanted to move away from that for just a second and okay. talk to you kind of about um, your your sex life as a as a black disabled woman and how kind of like what is there's a, I I faced a lot of prejudice as a queer disabled man trying to access dating. 
Is it different for you or kind of the same, but... I feel like it would be if I put in a conscious effort to try and date. Um, <laughs> but me, I'm like a 25-year-old virgin. Like, I just, I don't put in the effort to try and date. So I, I remember when you asked me to be on the podcast, I was like, well, well, well like, you know, what do I do? Because I'm I'm a virgin. So I'm like, I don't, I don't put in the effort. But I think, you know, eventually I will. And like I'll I'll get into the whole scene and I'll have more to tell you, but um, right now I don't really have much of a sex life because I'm not having sex or dating. Um, but I hope to. It's not like you know I'm like abstaining from it. I just I just haven't yet. Yeah, I have a feeling though that with this hashtag you might you, th- you might have the opportunity to meet more people and things might change on that front. But I I think. It's important to remember that some people with disabilities, like when I was 19, I lost my virginity because I wanted to lose it so bad because I felt like I had to, as a disabled queer person, I had to have sex because, fuck, I had to have it. So I was really, I was really, I pushed for that. But I think there's something important to remember that some people with disabilities don't feel that way and some people with disabilities don't have access to to sexuality as quickly as they can. And so to say I found it interesting when you when you said just there that you were a disabled virgin because I think that's important because that that's that's something that you um, that that's a part of your identity right now and it mm-hmm. also probably strikes people who are listening a little bit strangely because they go oh, yeah of course she is because she's disabled and I wanted to ask you what you thought about that. That's the thing that like that keeps me from I guess trying to online date because I'm so petrified of rejection and then I like I assume even though I understand that it's probably you know a little a little much but I'm just I assume that everyone like no matter who it is like dating wise whoever like I try to match with would be like no I don't want to date her because she's disabled so a lot of my non-dating life is just because I'm afraid and I think um I think that because there is such a stigmatism with like um, disabled people and dating a disabled person in the way that like if you date somebody who's disabled, then automatically if you're able-bodied, you're the hero, you know, and then like, but first you have to find somebody who thinks that you're attractive. Like it's this whole thing where it's like, I assume nobody would be attracted, like no able-bodied person would be attracted to me. So I guess that's probably why, like that's definitely why I'm afraid to even try dating online just because I'm a, I assume that like everything will be a rejection and that's super unhealthy. But, um, I think, yeah, yeah. but that, that's also a result of like the, the structures put in place to oppress us. There's like, there's a reason why you feel like going on a date, you're going to be filled with rejection because probably, unfortunately that is what will happen at some points because people don't know how to navigate disability. And also, they probably don't know how to navigate the fact that you're a black disabled woman. That's probably something that whether they consciously or unconsciously believe it, it's probably going to be something that scares them whether they realize it or not. Yes, absolutely. And I think um, I was a little scarred forever <laughs> when, in, when I was in high school all those ages ago. And somebody was like, oh, like, you would be so cute, you know, if it wasn't for your hand or like, you know, if you didn't have your disability. And they said it to me as if it was a compliment. And I was like, what am I supposed to do with that? Like this, this, yeah, like how, I have trouble how... by the way, I didn't even say that. But um, 
it's not a thing that I can just, you know, drop off at the store and, and take back. It's not like I picked it out of a magazine or something and I can like return the purchase. Um, so like, it is what it is. I think that scares me specifically is like people thinking that I'm cute, but like, but like not doing anything about it just because I'm disabled. Yeah. And I mean, as somebody with CP and we have different, we have different levels of CP, you and I, um, but I think, you know, as somebody with CP, I've had, I've had queer men tell me all the time, you know, Andrew, you don't look like you're in a wheelchair and that's really hot. And it's like, well, why would you say that? Yeah. Like what, what part of that is, is a compliment because it's like, okay, even if I don't look like I'm, I'm supposed to be in a wheelchair, I'd be like, well, I'm going to show up in one. So then what, like what happens when you see me in the wheelchair? Like, that's the thing that I don't think able-bodied people understand specifically is like you complimenting us about how, you know, oh, you don't look disabled in this picture. Oh, you don't, you know, you don't seem like the other disabled people. That's not a compliment. Like, no. you're erasing such a huge part of who we are. That, yeah. Like, there's nothing complimentary about that. You're totally ignoring my intersection, which is a huge part of who I am. And then, and then the worst part about those moments is... If they say it to your face, and I've had people say say it to my face, and you have you have to sit there and go, <laughs> like, oh, thank, okay, right? Like um, you have to pick I'm your gonna... battles at the end of the day. Like you, sometimes you want to say something that's like so mean and cutting, and then you're like, shit, I better pick my battles because you know this won't be the last time. So I need to figure out which one I should say something to and which one I should just let go. But I find more now, like now that I have some more visibility, that I just don't, I don't give a shit. Like, I'll just, yeah. I'll be like, you know what? Like, people are always like, oh, don't respond to trolls on Twitter. Like, no, if you catch me on the right day, you're getting a clean cuss out and I don't even care. I will hurt your feelings and not feel anything about it. That's just. <laughs> I will hurt your feelings. I will. Like, I just, I get so frustrated because. Now that I finally feel like I'm cute, I'm just like, all right, well, you know, somebody will eventually. And then there's like these 61-year-old guys jumping in my DMs like, oh, you're beautiful. I'm like, oh, well, you're older than my mom, so it's going to be a no for me. <laughs> like, it's not, it's not going to happen. You're older than my mom, so funny. Like, ugh. Like, it's like, like, that's the attention that I get. And I'm like, where is somebody my age? Like, if I see one more person with a freaking AARP card, in my in my direct messages, I'm gonna lose it. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so as a disabled woman of color, and so you made this hashtag, and we've talked about a little bit about what cute is. But what is what is the term like when you think of cute as a disabled woman, uh, as a disabled black woman? What does cute mean for you? Like when you were thinking of the, when this hashtag came to you, and you were like, I'm gonna make this hashtag. Well, like what is what did cute represent? Cute for me represented attractiveness. Like, oh, like, you look good, girl. Like, your outfit is cute. Your face is cute. Your smile is cute. Your hair is cute. It's like, for me, cute encompasses everything about you, both inside and out. Like, that's cute. That's good. Like, in in a sense of, like, celebrating it. Like, cute to me has always been, like, I'll see somebody who's cute. I'm like, oh, my God, he is so cute. And I mean that as, like, he's so attractive. You know what I mean? Or, like, She's so pretty. She's so cute, et cetera. So, like, 
for me, it never meant like a, a oh, like a aw thing. That was never what cute was to me. Every time I've ever said anybody was cute, it was because I was like, oh, you're like physically attractive. Or like, oh, you have such a great personality. Like you're, you know, I'm attracted to you on an emotional level, et cetera. Like it's never been like a oh, you poor you poor thing. You're so cute. That's adorable. Like cute to me was never like um in line with adorableness. Which I think is a completely different thing. Like adorable I feel like is infantilizing, whereas like cute to me never was and never has been. Yeah, no, I think cute and I, I that's why I, I like it so much because you're owning that and you're saying, No, no, I'm I'm not and you're admitting the fact that people with disabilities, it takes them a long time to get to a place where they're comfortable with their bodies. And so what I like about what you said earlier was you said, I'm not there yet. And I was going to, I was almost about to be like, yeah, you are. And then I was like, nope, don't say that because she's not there yet. And she's telling you, Andrew, in the audience that she isn't there yet. And that's okay. I don't think people with disabilities need to be fierce all the time or need to be, um, super sexualized all of the time right away. I think you have the right to say, I'm just getting comfortable with my body. I think we we have this expectation that we're either, we as disabled people are either not comfortable with our bodies at all, or we're so comfortable that it doesn't fucking matter, when yeah. it really does matter, and this hashtag is showing that. Thank you. Um, I just want to say one quick thing. It's just that, like, so often I find that when, that after this hashtag, people have been, like, oh, you know, why why don't you feel, you know, sexy or or gorgeous or or fine? And it's like it's okay not to be there yet. Like I think it's okay to be like, hey, I just got here. Like, you know, let me enjoy the view. And then Yeah. And then I'll yeah, work to totally go up to another floor. Exactly. And so um for me specifically, like I said, I got here in October or um in December of twenty sixteen. Like I just got here. I spent 24 and a half years. Like, I, well, I guess, you know, I started really, like, I think the moment that I realized that I was disabled, I was automatically like, okay, there's something wrong with you. Like, nobody's going to love you. You don't deserve love. Like, I went from like, okay, a disability is a thing that I have to like immediately saying, oh, you know, I hate myself immediately. How could you not hate yourself in this body? And so I just got to cute. So I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm sexy and fine. Now, mind you, I will wear a real attractive, um, like I'll wear a real cute outfit and like I'll look real cute, but I'm not to the place of sexy or fine yet. I think, you know, we all have our different paths to getting to like, you know, appreciating ourselves. So I think it's it's really hard for me and I kind of find it annoying when disabled people are like, well, why don't you think that you're sexy? And why do you care what people think? And why do you, um, why do you want somebody to like, to find you attractive? And there's this like push and pull, I think, in the community where it's like, yeah, love everything about yourself all the time, immediately, right out the gate. You know, don't ever think that you're, you know, ugly or gross because you're not, you know, you're not allowed to feel that way because that's not going to help anything, but you can't really, but like that idea specifically is a problematic because it's like people are in their own journeys and they'll find their, like, they'll find their way eventually, but it's going to take people sometimes. Nobody can just come out of the, um, 
Nobody's allowed to grow. Yeah, like nobody can just come out of the womb ready to be like, oh, I'm everything and more, you know, like, I don't care if I'm disabled. Like some people care and I think that's okay. to It's okay to care. Yeah, I totally agree. And and I I did have a question when you were talking. I'm thinking about this and shoot me down if I'm wrong. Do you feel as a black woman with disabilities, you're supposed to be like, you're supposed to, to be stereotypically confident with yourself because you're a black woman? Absolutely. And then you have to add disability onto that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think because there's already such, and I wrote about this in a catapult piece, there's such a expectation for black women as a whole to stuff down our feelings and be stoic and strong and never complain and always be ready to nurture, always be ready to take care of everybody else. As a black disabled woman, you know, I get it from both sides. It's like, Mainstream media teaches you that black women can't be emotional. We can't be sad. We can only be angry. We can only be stoic and strong and never waver. And um, so there's twice the pressure to to love my disability and myself. And, and, I, and I felt that pressure for years and I just couldn't do it. And I think even now, like, even though I just started the hashtag, like today um, I tweeted, you know, I felt really ugly, like when I got up this morning and like I got dressed. And then I was like, oh, girl, it's rough today. And then I went back to the full length mirror and I was like, oh, girl, what are you doing? Like, you're cute. And then I like flipped my hair in front of the mirror and I left for the day. Um, but I think people don't expect black women to have feelings and, and, and be upset, and be hurt and be, you know, otherwise, like no matter what feeling we're feeling, it's always like, Oh, it's immediately anger, no matter what it is. Yeah. So I think because of the hashtag specifically, I tried, like, even though I had a bad day today, I wasn't even going to tweet about it because I was like, I don't want people thinking, you know, she has a bad day so soon after the hashtag. But I did. And I tweeted about it because I think it's important to talk about your emotions, especially as a black woman, and especially as a, a disabled black woman, rather, because so often we're taught we shouldn't. And yeah. It's not an easy road, and I think people um, need to see that, you know? Some days I'll wake up and I'll be like, damn, girl. Or other days I'll wake up and I'll be like, ugh. But then I'll get to the place where it's like, okay, you know, now I'm going to actually work to to try to remain very positive. Get about there. Me. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and I think what's important about the hashtag and why I'm so excited about this part for you is that you're – you're not chronicling the end. You're not. You're not saying I am disabled and cute. That's it. You're saying I am disabled and cute. But every day I have to get up and get there to that place where I do feel cute. Yes. Um, it's not an immediate thing at all. It's like you know, some days I'll wake up, I'll look in the mirror, and I'll look a mess, and I'll be like, "Damn, girl, you are so fine. You better get it." And then other days, it's like I wake up and I'm just like, "Ah, oh, today we're not feeling it," you know, but. This time I'm going to work to get to a place where, like, I'm feeling good, you know, instead of just letting myself sit in that sort of sadness and that sort of, like, devastation about my body. Like, hell no, not anymore. I'm going to work to get to be like, okay, girl, you're cute, or this thing is cute about you, or here's what I love about you today. Even if I can't get to, like, a physical thing, like, if there's a day where I'm like, okay, we just don't like the way we look physically today, but, you know, what you, you're funny, you're hilarious, you're smart. You know, like those sorts of things is what I, what I've strived, what I'm striving to do um, with each day is like, even if I can't find something physically attractive, I'll find something about myself that I like and I'll say it out loud and I'll say it repeatedly until 
it sticks and I remember it and I don't have to constantly remind myself. Yeah, and I think that you're able to, you know, you have to say to yourself, and this is part of what this, why this hashtag is so important, because you can now open up Twitter, and you can see the whole world saying it with you. Um, I wanted to touch back on something, as when, we, when we were talking about uh, black women and the, the need to be strong and stoic, I'm just thinking of the role models you have, like the, the representations we have of black women, Almost every single one I thought of when we were talking about that was like, I immediately thought of Cookie from Empire, and I was like, well, yeah, she's strong, she's fucked up, but she's strong, but she's is it like is that a proper representation? And then I thought of like, like Carrie Washington from from Scandal, and I thought about the contrast of like of of like Olivia Pope's so fucking flawed, and so I think that maybe with Disabling Q, you're offering another type of representation, whether it's conscious or not. You're offering like young black disabled girls, somebody who can say, I'm not there yet, but want to come on the journey with me? Yeah, like, I hope so. Wow, that's such a lovely compliment. Because I, I love Shonda so much. <laughs> I love Shonda Rhimes so much. Like, I'm always ready for TGI Thursdays. But um, <clears throat> anyway, I hope so. My, like I said, my I have big dreams. You know, I want to write for TV. I want to write books. I want to, you know, be in movies. I want I want to be on the cover of a magazine. So if I I said to one interview, I said, if I if I have to be that first person for a black disabled girl, I'll be it. I'll be it without a problem, without hesitation. Like yeah, that, be, that's how I feel about being a queer disabled man. I also like I'm not the first, but if I'm one of the first to be like. Here I am. Here's a picture of me naked in a magazine. Here's, you know, me in some pornography. Here's me representing. I'll do it. Exactly. Because- like, I think because we, we have so little. Like, I grew up, you know, and, and I think the 90s were so good for black people specifically in terms of representation. But I never saw anybody like myself. I didn't grow up around a lot of disabled people. I didn't grow up around. I had one um disabled family member. She had CP as well, but she was older than me. So it wasn't like we spent every single day together, you know? The only person that I knew with a disability every day was myself. So I think if I if I can reach one Black disabled girl and keep her from, you know, beating up on herself and, and understanding that there are people out there who are rooting for her and people out there who know what she's going through, then I, I've won, you know? And so I think that's why I push so hard for proper representation for Black disabled people of color in the media because... I want to see us on TV. I want to see us in movies. I want to see us writing books. I want to see us on covers of magazines because we deserve that. Because if I can stop one black disabled girl from hating herself all of her life until she gets to 25, then I will. Because I don't want people to go through what I went through. And can Go ahead. And can you talk to us about what you went through? Like, I'm curious. You talked about growing up a little bit. I'd, I'd like to kind of delve into your like upbringing a little bit to just see how you've got to where you are. Okay. So I'm a twin. I'm a twin. Um, my sister Leah, love her. She's able-bodied. And so I have an older brother, Eric, who is also able-bodied. So I'm the only disabled person in my immediate family. And I spent a lot of my life being really hard on Leah and calling her names and, and like trying to bring her down because I was jealous that she had the body that I always wanted, you know? Yeah. I wanted yeah. so badly to be like everybody else. And so I would just take it out on her and I was so mean. 
and I was so bitter and angry um, toward her. And she didn't deserve it. And, and I like apologized to her all the time now. But it wasn't until college that I realized, hey, um, you know, I spent so much of our lives, you know, shitting on you when you are just a fantastic person. And it's not fair to her to, um, you know, demean her and trash her just because she has, just because she's able-bodied. And so I don't know why I took it out on her and like I didn't say anything about my older brother because, you know, he's able-bodied too, but I wanted so badly to look more like Leah. Well, it's not, it's because he's a, he's a boy. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's my twin sister. So it was like constantly like, oh my God, you and Leah look nothing alike. You know, Leah's so pretty. And like, even though people didn't realize what they were saying when they were saying it, like it was like one would always come after the other. They'd be like, oh, you guys look nothing alike. Leah's so pretty or Leah's so pretty. You guys look nothing alike. So I internalized that, you know, and I think um, where I was lucky was that, you know, Leah, (laughs) Leah took a lot of the brunt of my anger, but she never gave it back. Like she was always just waiting for me to come into um, my own and understand that, you know, nobody's got my back like she does. And with my mom, you know, a single mother, she raised me the same way that she raised Leah and Eric. So Whatever they got, I got, whether it was scooters, bikes, um, you know, whatever clothes they got, I got whatever this and whatever that. So she she treated me like, you know, there's not like there's there's nothing wrong with you. Like, you know, you're going to get whatever everybody else gets and we'll just have to make some adaptions. So in that way, I was so lucky. But I took I took it for granted because I internalized my anger and hatred toward myself and put it on to Leah because I just simply didn't. Like, I just didn't like myself, and I didn't want her to feel good either. And then when I got to college, I was like, oh, shit, no. Like, you spent the majority of your life, like, trying to uh, tear down this person who has always had your back and always made it so that you understood that she that she was going to be in your corner, even if nobody else was. I love Leah. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so I just love her. I also like that your names rhyme. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, my grandma named me, and then my, um, because I'm I'm a minute older. I tell anybody who will listen. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like Leah. Respect your elders. Like, like every year on our birthday, I'm always like, um, yeah, my younger sister. Like, happy birthday to me, my younger sister. And then everybody's like, it's just a minute. And I was like, listen, when you're a twin, that minute counts. <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah so, Oh yeah, no, you can go ahead. I don't no, know. no, no. I was just saying, like, like I was, I was agreeing with you. Like, listen, I'm the older one. I have, <laughs> I have some, some play here. Yeah, I'm always like, and it's so funny because even now, so she just like lets me do it. I'm like, yeah, this is my younger sister Leah. Like, and I'm like, oh, who's the oldest? Me by a whole minute. Like, I just I make it into a thing. Yep, <laughs> yep, a whole sixty seconds. Um, but yeah, she's always had my back and like. She's literally my biggest fan, and I am so grateful for her. Uh, but yeah, I had a, I had a, I had a rough childhood in a way that like I made it rough on myself because I had so many supportive people willing to, you know, do whatever and and give me whatever I needed to be the best person that I could be. But I still was like, okay, you know, there's something wrong with me, and I'm broken, and I don't, and I'm angry about it. And so I spent a really long time. And- trying to 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 get out of that place 
Right. I, th- I think we all do. I'm 33. I'll be 33 in like two months. And I, you know, I do this work professionally now and I've been in magazines and I've written stuff and I've been on TV and I've done all this. I've done a lot of things you're aiming to do. And I have to tell you um, from one cripple to another <laughs> that, uh, that that feeling never really goes away. You can bury it down a little bit, but that feeling of like, am I good enough? Even when you get all the accolades, it never really, really goes away. Yeah. Um, so I think, Absolutely. and I think why that's critically important for you and your work is because you can tell disabled black girls, like, hey, that feeling you're feeling, just because you get this thing doesn't mean you're not going to feel it tomorrow. It's still going to be there. Yeah. And I think what, what I hope is that, you know, disabled black girls see me and they understand like, okay, even if today isn't good, you know, and tomorrow isn't good, like I want to be some sort of like hope to them you know what I mean like I want people to read my pieces and be like you know I I didn't feel good but I felt good while I was reading it you know what I mean like I I didn't have a great day but I you know feel better after reading your piece or I feel better after seeing your face you know like uh with the hashtag blowing up I was on the news and that was really exciting um I was on my local channel four and a lot of people stopped me like the next day and they're like oh we saw you I, like, I saw you on the news and like you know you're making Lockport where I'm from proud and that to me is so nice but um I have to like keep myself in check too because I understand that you know this won't last forever it will at some point go away so I'm trying to make sure that I bottle this feeling and yeah you know, and you try to keep it with yeah. me yes for as long as you can um so I I'm thinking of another hashtag as we're talking we've said disabled black girls a lot I mean, I think maybe that could be an offshoot of this because I think you could turn disabled and cute. That's like the like, the like sexier one. But you could also do disabled black girls and just put that out there and see what comes to it. <laughs> kind of like, kind of like um, the hashtag that was going around for a bit called Black Girl Magic. So, yes, I love that hashtag. Right? Yeah, similar to that. Just like, just lay it out like disabled black girls. There it is. Because, because. I just think the simplicity of that of that statement is like shocking enough for people to go, what? Wow, intersectionality. Okay. Um, yeah, and I think I think that's what's been so good about the attention from the hashtag is that so many people are realizing, like, hey, you know, I've never thought about, you know, especially I've never thought about disabled people of color or disabled people of color who are also LGBTQ or, you know. I've never, I never sat and thought about those people because so much of disability is white, you know, as the default. So I think it's been good and that, you know, people are opening their eyes and realizing like, hey, you know, not only are disabled people going through uh, their own shit and like trying to figure out their own, you know, rights and access to the things they need to survive, but, you know, there are also people of color who are disabled as well. And so I'm glad it's doing that. You know, I, I think it's important that we don't forget about intersectionality because if you're, like I said, if your feminism isn't intersectional, then it's not feminism. And if your activism isn't intersectional, then it's not activism. You have to put in the work to include everybody so that you don't, you know, you don't forget people while you're, you know, on your way climbing to the top. While you're marching with everybody, you don't forget that somebody, somebody is at home wishing they could march with you, but not being able to. Exactly. And there's a very ableist, way in which people approach protesting uh specifically it's like this idea like oh if you can't you know march then you're not doing enough and if you can't 
call this and that person. You're not doing enough because it it erases or like dismisses people with disabilities who can't do those things. Yeah. So I think, you know, for me, a lot of my resistance in this new administration and activism is through writing because writing is a thing I can do. My body can't withstand a protest. You know what I mean? Like my body, I don't like my body doesn't have the stamina to attend protests. So I write and I share work from other people in the community and like in the communities that I'm not in, because I think it's also important that you share work of other people so that you have a constant flow of differing voices um, coming in, coming in. So you're not stagnant in your own views. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think, I think just being a, a black disabled girl is protest. Honestly, here I am and just owning that part of yourself. Exactly. Like, my mere existence is an act of resistance because people, there's so many people who don't acknowledge Black disabled women and there's so many people who dismiss us and, and you know, pretend as though, feel as though we are just taking up space. So my mere existing is an act of resistance. And the work that I do in championing Black women and and writing about my own experiences and, and writing fiction to create people who look like me, that to me is resistance because hell, I want to see myself. You know what I mean? People talk so much about like, uh, not, not saying what you want and like not, you know, wanting to be successful. What's wrong with wanting to be successful? I want to yeah. be successful, but I also want to make sure that people like me get stories for themselves that people don't have to keep, you know, picking up scraps and just being like, well, at least I have this. Like, no, you should have everything you want. Yeah. And you deserve it. And so like, I'm just, uh, that's why I can't champion it enough because I'm just like, this is so, it came at the right, it came at just the perfect time. Like, not that I'm happy that Trump is president because God, fuck, I'm not, Ugh. but I'm not, but like it, it just came at the right time to talk about intersectionality, especially when in the U.S. right now, the White House webpage, didn't they, like, eradicate everything disability-related? Yeah. they they The page went down for maintenance, and I'm pretty, like, I don't know for sure if it's gone back up, but the last I checked, it wasn't there. And the page for the LGBTQ community was gone as well. I don't know if that's back up, but it wasn't there. And um, for me specifically, like, I, I've written about, you know, the Trump presidency, I'm still waiting for the piece to come out. And I have one out right now about like people having the choice to make between staying silent and fighting for the people who are going, who have so much to lose under this presidency. And I think there is a choice to make. You can't play both sides of the aisle. This idea that we can just reach across the aisle and love each other and respect each other's opinions is bullshit simply because so many people are not going to survive this presidency. You know, yeah. so many people are going to be, you know, dead because they don't have health care or like, you know, hurt or injured because of these policies that are tearing people's families apart and doing all of these terrible things. Like, it would be wild to me to have the privilege to just, you know, not say anything or not speak up and speak out. Like, I know, you know, especially as a black disabled woman, how much I'm putting on the line when I tweet about the administration and when I say these things about um, what people stand to lose and, and the policies that they're putting forth, I know that I stand to lose so much, um, you know, career-wise, but I can't see myself 
being quiet in the face of fascism. I just can't. No, no. And I, I think, honestly, you don't, you won't lose anything career-wise. If anything, this hashtag will be, will be the platform for you to say so many deeper things. And that's what I'm excited about because I, too, am a writer. I, I'm a blogger. I'm a podcaster. I, I put content out, what I refer to as crippled content for uh, the disabled community. And I think this, all these lovely intersections you have and on this thing you created is going to allow you to say so many deeper things than I think people are ready for. And I'm, I'm excited for that. I like, am too. I hope it, I really hope it happens. Like there's a, um, a thing where I'm like, I want to get on the Ellen show. Um, I want to get on a talk show. Like I want people to see, I want people to see disability so much so that they can't ignore it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so Ellen DeGeneres, hi. Hi Ellen. Hi. You're probably not listening to this, but if you are, I'm going to tweet it to you when it comes out because we both want to be on your show for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Book so us both. We're freaking fantastic. Um, yeah. yeah, I know, but I just, I I used to apologize or like hide away from the fact that I want to be seen in mainstream media because I was always like, you know, like people are going to think that's con- like you're conceited and like you are self-serving. But I think at some point you have to serve yourself because who else is going to if you don't? If I sit down and I don't talk about the things that I want in my career and in my life, then they're just not going to be talked about because... I, it's okay. I think that people don't realize that like it's okay to want to be seen in mainstream media, especially when you spend your whole, you know, life invisible to mainstream media. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, hell, why not? You know. <laughs> yeah. And so, Ellen oh, DeGeneres. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ellen DeGeneres, hi. Also, also Shonda Rhimes. Yeah, hi. Shonda. Like Shonda, like let's let's figure some shit out, Shonda. You gotta, <laughs> You got Olivia Pope. You got Annalise Keating. You need another one. And I think I have somebody who could create it for you. Yes, I got you, Shonda. Just call my people. By my people, I mean just tweet at me or something. And she and has we- people now. She's got people. She's been all over the world. She has people. <laughs> she will have people. And I'm one of her people. Call us. Yes. We'll figure it out. We're, we're global now. We're international. It's it's crazy. Like the good, like I just, that to me, I, I still get emotional about it. Because to know that I'm being written about in places like Australia and New Zealand and France and Germany and Russia and um, a bunch of other places like like Korea, like that, it's, I can't believe it. I just did an interview I am yesterday just, um, I am just, uh, for a place uh, in Seoul, Korea, yeah. and I got off, like, and I was done with it. And I was like, I felt myself tearing up because I was like, holy shit like i i'm in other places my face is in other places in the world like i'm on tv screens and videos like it's it's wonderful i never thought that i could see myself um in such a way and and be proud about it because i watched my news segment my local news segment live with my best friend um and i was watching myself and there was a piece in the like there was a a section in the segment where like they had me walk so that I could, um, you know, walk and, and open the so laptop and, and, and yeah, begin yeah. writing. And then, you know, I'm walking and I'm watching myself walk. And for the first time in my life, I smiled. I smiled seeing myself on screen. I, I, I smiled hearing myself talk and, and walk. And I, I never had that before, you know. I spent 24 and a half years 
you know, hating to, to see myself on video or any sort of movement. And I caught myself smiling and I was like choking up just thinking about the fact that like, you know, this, this person, this person that you're watching, that's you and you like yourself now and you're not cringing every time you hear your voice and you're not cringing every time you walk and every time you move. And I think that too has been such a revolutionary and, and uh, important thing to me. You know, that's something that I've gotten out of the hashtag, you know, that's just personal to me is this sort of uh, yeah that makes you feel that makes you feel okay yeah it's it's wonderful and i really thought 2016 was a really rough year for you know in general but my everyone yeah but it was fucking amazing for me okay not only did i get like you know dream essays but fucking roxanne gay the queen herself said my work was compelling and then Wow, that's so awesome. (laughs) I died a thousand deaths. She sent me um an advanced copy of Difficult Women and in the like in the book it said, Oh, you know, Kia, keep up with the I I look forward to reading more of your compelling work, Roxanne Gay. And I I wept for like two days because I love her so fucking much. Um I love her and Ashley C Ford. Like those are those I like like if there was a way to stand for authors, that I would stand for those too, because they're fucking brilliant. And I think just those sorts of things keep you going. And I had, like I said, I had a brilliant 2016. Like it was a shitty year in general, but I had a brilliant 2016, and that was one of the things that was like the highlight. Like Roxy and Gay thinking my work is compelling. That's it. I need nothing else. You know, like yeah. <laughs> like it was just like oh my god. Like and sometimes like when I'm like. Um, having a rough day, I'll just go in my room and I'll pick up the book from my bookshelf and I'll just read it, and I'll be like, "Oh my God!" Like that—that that happened. Like she was talking about you, you know. And yeah, I wasn't you. expecting. The, the, I think, and I mean this. Like I wasn't expecting this... for her to even send me the book. Uh, I was just like, uh, like what? What more is there? Like when somebody you admire that much, um even says that about your work, like, Roxanne Gay doesn't lie, you know what I mean? Like, so many people, (laughs) so many people who, like, know her personally have said, like, she, like, when she says something, when she compliments you, it's because she means it, you know? She's not going to sugarcoat anything or tell you you're talented or not. But me, oh my god, me, like a small, like a, like a disabled black girl from, you know, western New York, like, like, upstate New York, (laughs) like, like what? Like so, who's gonna play you in the movie, man? Can you play you in the movie? I was gonna say I'll play me. <laughs> yeah, I'll like, play me. like I'm trying to get in the movie just so I can go to Alfre Woodard's um sister like like Oscar party for like women. Like I I want in on that. Like let me let me be in a movie like, just can... so that I can be invited to her party because. Yeah, no. God. When when that happens, okay. When you get on Ellen, I'm gonna cry. More than I have cried over your hashtag already because I have. Oh, me I too. Have, <laughs> like I've watched that thing grow. I've watched it, and I watched your, I watched your piece because everybody was posting it, and I was like, I literally, I teared up too because I was like, you know what, you know, seeing somebody who is doing this just because they wanted, they they weren't even thinking about it, they were just doing it, and that's why it's so. I, I'm careful not to say inspirational, but. Hold on from, one second. 
what I like about the hashtag, and I, I'm careful not to say it's inspirational, but as a disabled person who's been marginalized, holy fuck it is. It is inspirational because <laughs> yeah, it's I saying, so to, it's inspirationally intersectional, I think, because it's saying to me, to me and to so many others, there's possibility here. That's what I hope so. Um, for me, I think it's so funny because people are so uh, scared to say the word inspiration. But I think as long as it's not in an inspiration, like inspiration porn way, mm. then I don't mind the word inspiration because I, <laughs> honestly, that's what I hope to be. You know what I mean? Like I think, you know, as, as long as the work is, is uh, inspiring somebody, then why not let it be inspirational? It doesn't necessarily have to be like a thing, like a word that I think we shy away from. It's just the action of inspiration porn is the thing that we should be focused on, but not the word itself. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, Kia, so if there is one thing you could say about all this and one thing you want people to know about you and one thing you want people to know I mean, this podcast went from a podcast that was going to be about sex and disability to more about like loving yourself, which I think is such an important part of sexuality. So I, I love that we didn't even really talk about sex very much. We talked about like loving yourself to a point where sexuality could be a thing for you. But I wanted to just know what is it? What is the one thing you want people to understand about about uh, attractiveness, being a, a black disabled girl? Um, what is one thing you could leave them with? Um, I guess I just want people to know that, like, this is just the beginning for me. Like, um, I have so many dreams and hopes. And there, I just, I want so badly to be seen as, like, like all that I am in mainstream media. So this, this hashtag is just the beginning. Like, I'm working for um, bigger, bigger things as well. And I think also as a person with a disability, I think it's important imperative that people know that we don't you know we're not always sad and like hating ourselves and and uh wishing to die and and spending all of our time you know wishing for <clears throat> wishing to be other people wishing to be other able-bodied people we live full lives and we we learn to love and it does take some time sometimes but we get there and i think what we need to do is have people change the narrative of um, disability because right now the what we're going for and what we have is not enough and I hope that people see this hashtag and see the joy that people have and the, and the way they love themselves and think hey you know this must be what disability actually is I think it's time for people to go against the grain and against what they think disability is and start asking people with actual ones how they feel and what what it really is what it really is exactly yep yeah, and I, I would also say that you were talking about changing the narrative. I would agree with that, but I think what's really cool about what you've done, you've not changed the narrative, you created one. And I think as people with disabilities who are told we can't create anything of our own, you've done that. Like, you've created a conversation that wasn't there before. Yeah. And you've weaved it so, so expertly through intersections that people don't even realize the fact that people are getting mad at you means you've done your job exactly and i think you know you you can't do anything great without a few people being upset about it and you know i think at first it bothered me it did but but now you know as as i entered like the the week 
you know, the ending of the week where it, for when it first started, it was like, I don't really care what people, you know, who are upset about. Like, I did this thing, me, a black disabled girl, like I said, from Western New York, who never thought she'd be, you know, anything worthwhile, did this thing that went viral, and I'm going to celebrate the hell out of it. And I'm also going to use it to be a stepping off point for another place in my career. You know what I mean? I'm not yeah. going to let somebody's, you know, ignorance and rudeness take away my happiness about it. And and nor should you. And also you don't need to have the, you don't need to be the one to educate those angry people. Sometimes you just got to be like, fuck it. I'm not doing this today. Nope. Nope. Exactly. Like if you want, if you want an education, go to Google because it's free and <laughs> And I don't have like it's free ninety nine, and I don't have the time for you. Like, and I, I think, got, and I don't have the spoons today. The end. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think the best thing that that you know disabled people with some ounce of visibility, like myself, can do is stop giving people who don't deserve your time your time. Understand that your time is money, yeah, and your time is valuable, and not everybody deserves it. Yeah, and I think. For me, as a queer disabled person, also looking for, looking to be accepted, looking to be seen, wanting to, for me, I, I am very, I'm a very sexual person because I, I, I want that to be part of my narrative. But I also have to remind myself that if this, if this person is going to be a douchebag to you, don't go back to them because you're lonely or sad. Move on. Like at the end of the day, Um, please know that like all that you are as you are is enough. And if people can't accept that, then fuck them. Truly, completely, just like they, they don't matter in the grand scheme of things. Because I think we spend so much time trying desperately to make sure that people like us and and everybody, you know, and we're like, everybody loves us, but not everybody's going to love us. And that doesn't mean that what we're doing isn't worthwhile. Yeah, I completely agree. I I could talk to you for three more hours. You are just a joy to talk to Thank you and so much. You, well, you have so much to say, and I'm just, you know, this has literally been one of my favorite podcasts to record. I'm so excited to share this with everybody. Um, I can't wait for it to come out. I'm pumped. It's gonna be so good, and I, I might actually, re- I might actually release it early to my Patreon subscribers. So if Ooh. you, if you follow me on Patreon, you may be hearing this way sooner than you would hear it normally because I just, I fucking love it so much. Uh, this was so much. This was so much fun. It's been. It has been a joy. How do we? I know how to get a hold of you, but how do can people get a hold of you and read your stuff and connect um, with you? Follow me on Twitter at Kia K E A H underscore Maria M A R I A. Um, there's a link to my website in the description or um, in in the bio of my Twitter, and then just. You know, use hashtag disabled and cute. And if you aren't disabled, go on the hashtag and show people some love and tell your friends about the work I'm doing. You know, put in a good word. Make it so that, you know, people can't ignore me. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's it's so weird because a lot of times, you know, people are like, oh, don't don't over self promote. But like at the end of the day, like, you know, just check me out. Google me. Read some of my essays. Like I said, my. Uh, website is in the bio of my Twitter at Kia underscore Maria and that's where you'll find the work that I'm doing and I hope you enjoy it it's you know and it, it's such important work and I, again I could talk to you for 50 more years because I love I just I love I'm so excited for you um, and you're just a joy and thank you so so much
Thank you so much. I had such a great time doing this with you. It's so great. And I, I love, listen, even though the podcast people are going to hear this, I don't care. I'd love to write a piece with you. I'd love to do something. Hell yeah. Let's collaborate. Oh my gosh. Completely. I'm totally I, down. I would love to write something with you about, I don't know. We'll figure it out, but I'd love yes. to write something. Yes. We'll get together. I promise. Fantastic. Hell yeah. I'm all about so, working Kia. with other disabled folks. Such a, <laughs> yeah. Totally, right? We need to work together. But this has been such a joy, and thank you so much. Thank you. I really hope you enjoyed my interview with Kia Brown about the hashtag Disabled and Cute. I thought when we were initially going to do this interview that we were going to talk a lot more about sex itself like we usually do, but what I loved about this interview was that we talked about what it means to get to a place where you feel sexy and where you feel good about yourself and where you feel sexually viable. And what I love about Disabled and Cute, and as Kia said in the interview, is that she's not there yet. And I think it's important to remember that it's okay not to be there yet, especially as disabled and pe- disabled people generally. We're allowed to say, you know what, I don't feel sexy yet. I don't feel good about this yet, but I'm getting there. And I love that Kia has allowed for us to go on that journey with her and go on that experience with her. She she finds herself as a black disabled woman. I think it's so critically important that we talk about these intersections and we talk about our journey to sex and sexuality as opposed to simply the destination. So I really, really thank Kia for that. And again, Disabled and Cute is blowing up all over. If you want to use the hashtag, please be sure to tweet, tweet it at her, talk about her, make sure that she's included in every single tweet about that hashtag because it's important that we see her and recognize her as the creator. So follow Kia's work, tell your friends about this podcast, tweet to Ellen to get Disabled and Cute all over there, tweet to Shonda Rhimes to have Kia write for her, some awesome characters. I think this conversation really made me look at Disabled and Cute so much differently and made me dig deep into the roots of it and where it really came from, and I really appreciate Kia's vulnerability with me to share that. It's so, so rare that we get to hear disabled people being vulnerable and being themselves and I love that I was able to share in that with her and share that with you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability. If you like what you hear and want to hear more, read my blogs or book me to bring disability to you, head over to www.andrewgerza.com. Also, if you're listening to this in iTunes, Please rate and review us so more people can find the show. Copyright Notice This program was created and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations. Any and all materials, including graphics, music, and audio recordings, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. (laughs) 